that's the real strength and value in an association like ACSA is that it creates a community that can help lift each other up. And it is one of the great privileges to be able to be involved at this time in this test in helping to keep this industry growing and vital as we're going to make it through one of the roughest winters, but we're going to make it through. And I just am really excited to start coming out the other side and see where we where we can go from here because if we can make it through this we can make it through a heck of a lot from the american craft spirits association and craft spirits magazine this is the craft spirits podcast i'm john page and today on the program acsa president and catoctin creek distilling company co-founder and chief distiller becky harris joins editor-in-chief jeff cialetti to discuss some of the biggest issues affecting craft distillers That includes relief for small businesses affected by the pandemic, direct-to-consumer shipping, tariffs, and of course, the ongoing battle to make permanent the relief of federal excise tax, better known as FET. Becky is a chemical engineer who brought her expertise in industrial processes and production to distilling when she and her husband, Scott Harris, founded Catoctin Creek in 2009 in Purcellville, Virginia. Their flagship product is Roundstone Rye, an 80-proof whiskey made from 100% rye grain and aged around two years. Jeff spoke to Becky via Zoom in late October. He first asked about the state of Catoctin Creek's tasting room. Becky said they were operating at about a 50% capacity, and she expected winter to be a challenge. I was doing a um, a uh, discussion today. It was a tour, like a tourism roundtable with Senator Warner and Representative Wexton, mm-hmm. and we had some breweries and we had some restaurants, and you know, and everybody's talking about what's going to happen when winter comes, especially if there's no relief, because people are really already like caterers and stuff. They're they're in bad shape. We were talking to a couple who do a lot of catering and they're like, this is supposed to be the time of year when you actually make money, right. you know? And they're like, I had one job in the past few months. And they said, people aren't even taking as many to go dinners as they used to. Oh my God. That's, yeah. yeah. She <laughs> said, it seems like they're kind of more like people kind of have been home long enough that they kind of got a drill. They can cook whatever they need to cook or whatever, but they're not doing as much takeout as they were. And it, it was, it was really kind of depressing listening to them um, talk through it. We've, you know, the summer has been pretty good, but this is definitely going to be a real challenge this winter. If dealing with a pandemic wasn't already making it difficult for craft distilleries, they are facing a 400% tax increase in 2021 unless Congress extends FET relief. One of Harris's senators, Mark Warner, had previously not supported the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act, but she says he's coming around. Senator Warner's been a skeptic on, you know, the the uh, CBMTRA, and and he 
when we got to the event today, he actually walked over to me first thing and said, I know what you want to talk to me about. And I've been thinking, and he said, you know, I think it's time for me to worry less about how the sausage is made and get behind and support the bill. Wow. That's, so that's, I was like, that's good news. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, this is awesome, you know, because that he's, is, you know, in, in, who knows what's going to happen next week in the election. But if there is a change of regime in the Senate, he's going to be a fairly influential person as well. So that's a good thing to hear because he was holding back for a long time on that. And so, but both, both he and um, Representative Wexton were both felt that the, the FET is one of the prime candidates for the appropriations process at the end of the year because they said, you know, with the popularity of it and everything else that that is, you know, one that's very, very likely to get moved through. So, um, you know, I think it's just going to be a matter of come December, every one of our members is going to have to be out there calling their representatives, calling in the other representatives they personally have friends with or are married to or whatever it might be and get them to you know, get this done because it was interesting because it was actually brought up by one of the craft brewers in the room as he was looking at a, you know, tax doubling and, uh, and, and we're like, yeah, <laughs> doubling's bad. Want to see quadrupling? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I can't even imagine. And, uh, so it, it was definitely, um, it, it, but it was definitely positive to hear that the senator was supporting it now. So I'm I'm looking forward to to, to being able to move it. So I I'm I'm co pretty confident that we can get that done this year. I would love to get an extension that's more than a year because I keep feeling like I'm you know and I I I told um, I and I'm going to tell him and I've told him before that you know an extension of one year just means you're going to see me in January. If you want me to go away for a little bit, then then you're going to need to give us more than that because I, you know, I can't plan my business not knowing what my tax rate is next year because that's that's pretty big deal when it comes to how much money is going to be available to do all the other things like kyrating and buying grain and buying, you know, barrels, wood products, all these agricultural products that we small producers use all the time are things that we have to budget for and having the FET quadruple takes a big bite out of that budget. And, yeah. you know, I recognize I'm pretty fortunate in that I've been, you know, we have a, a big enough size and footprint that we have paid this before and we're ready to deal with paying for it again, but it will set everyone back. And I know there are a lot of our members out there who have never paid the the 1350 proof gallon and that that could be you know then the nail in the coffin especially in the middle of one of the worst winters they're going to have for business in probably a long time and that's what's really unacceptable i think do you um do you sense that they're getting a little more of a sense of urgency because of the pandemic situation does that um, do they see that? Do they make that connection? That, I think know? they do see that. I think they do make that connection because, um, you know, just, just watching um, both members, you know, listen to 
the stories and it's, it's, you know, it's not good. I, he was uh, talking to one of the um, restaurant owners for a local barbecue and catering joint. They do barbecue, they do catering. And she said their bank cut off their line of credit. And it's because they're a restaurant and she went out looking for more and she said she can't get it. Nobody wants to loan money to a restaurant right now. Oh man. I mean, that that's, I mean, it, it's crazy because it's like, um, this is, it, it's almost like they're, they're not seeing that this is, there's a reason why restaurant business is soft and everybody knows what that reason is. It's not the fault of, the restaurant owner and you know provided that the science you know comes sooner rather than later you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel if, exactly. if that happens and it's but, not like it's not yeah it's just really bad i mean there's a woman who uh, has a company they do they're like uh, limousine motor coaches and she was saying she has um what did she say she had 50 motor coaches she said they cost a half million dollars a piece. Oh my God. And they've been sitting there because nobody's taking bus rides anywhere. Right, right. And she's like, and she said there's no resale market on it right now. Nobody's buying motor coaches. So you can't. So she's got millions of dollars tied up in these buses that no one is taking. And she's like, you know what and and he was he was and the senator was pointing out that you know yes we bail out the airlines and you know we're bailing out some of these but you know there are places who are just as affected a motor coach company yes that is gonna be it's not gonna get better anytime soon so yeah you know there has to be and they have to find the political will and i'm hoping you know that that's a message that gets through to everyone up and down both parties that they have to find the political will to make people solvent right so we can get to where everybody can get through this and then we can deal with what comes but i think that making it so that no one knows you know what their financial future holds makes it very difficult for everyone to make decisions on how to deploy their resources. So if you don't know if you're gonna have a job next week, you're yeah. not gonna go out to a restaurant. You don't know if you're gonna, you know, if you don't know how much, you know, you might, if you get sick, how much it's gonna cost you, all that stuff. That is is the kind of thing that that in this situation, it is going to make the economic future really dim unless we as a country decide we want to fight this with the same kind of resolve that we, you know, go to war with, you know, okay. it's really that kind of thing. You need to have a national will. And I think that unfortunately it's, it's, it's gotten politicized. I mean, you can't even get people to put a mask on and, and that, you know, let's, let's, get back to where we were at the beginning of this when we all said, yes, we're doing this as a team and we're gonna get through this. And, and it's not about, you know, who, who's, who you like as far as a, a political party. It's about that we all wanna get this over with so we can live our life. And I think we could do that if we could all just, you know, buckle down and, and you know, 
put the cloth on, put the cloth on her face and be uncomfortable and, you know, go through that. But it's, it's definitely going to be, and it's hard because everybody's tired, uh, you know, it's stressed, we're tired. It's hard to kind of keep cleaning everything for the 14 billionth time, you know, as you're, as you're hosting people and, and taking, taking care of stuff, but it's really what we have to kind of find that inner fortitude and, and kind of keep going. So after a break, the future of FET relief. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry. Through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more, it's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. Now, since this conversation took place before the election, Jeff asked Becky to predict a few scenarios. And just to keep things moving along, we're going to skip the first scenario where Trump wins the election. Um, I think there are people on both sides of the aisle who want to do something. All right, scenario two. <laughs> um, uh, also change. <laughs> here's, all right, so Trump loses, Biden's president-elect, uh, Senate is still in Republican hands, House is still in Democratic hands. What does the lame duck session look then, especially uh, assuming that assuming that Trump concedes, you know, it's a yes. clear victory. I was going to say, Jeff, this is a wild card scenario. <laughs> I know, I know. You now. can't really base this on any other previous election cycles, but no, assuming cannot. that it's a, you know, the courts haven't been pulled into it. Um, it's right. a, it's a, it's a clear victory for Biden, but mm -hmm. he, but the Democrats weren't able to get the Senate. It's still, it's say it's like 51 to 49, still in Republican hands. Um, then I but, think we're going to see something happen, but it's going to be a lot harder because I don't think that that point there's an, as much of an incentive for the Senate to go along. Um, I think that they're going to become more deficit hawks in, in the way they were in the previous administration where everything is, is expensive and, and they kind of retreat to that um, model. I do think, though, that things are pretty dire, and I think at some point they are going to have to um, meet at some point, um, because I think if you start seeing, you know, wholesales, you know, places closing and that sort of stuff happening, I think there's going to be, um, you know, there will be people on both sides of the aisle that will want to get something done even if they're they just even if their ne next election isn't for a couple years they're going to know that people are going to remember what they did at this point and so i think that 
whether or not, you know, if you're in a lame duck session and there's, you know, there's going to be a change in, in executive branch leadership, I think as a legislative branch, then you still have to say, um, you know, okay, maybe I have leverage now to try to make a package be something that I want it to be, but I think that packages still need to get done. And um, I, you know, I, I do know that, you know, it will be a challenge if we still have a split, but I mean, we've had a split in, in, you know, the houses for so long that, you know, and, you know, with the, uh, the, the language that, you know, the, if, 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 you know, uh, Senator Biden is elected, or Vice President Biden is elected, then I think he's, all, he's talked about trying to govern from a place of consensus. So I think that, you know, that would be encouraged to try to make progress in some direction, even if it's not exactly what makes everybody happy. But I'm a pragmatist. I've always been in the let's do something, even if it's not perfect. Because, you know, if everybody's dissatisfied and you've done something, then maybe that you've got the difference right. Because <laughs> it isn't a zero sum game. There's not a situation where everybody gets to win. And I think that there's been a lot of language politically where everybody has to you know, feel like they're the winner. And I think that when you want to move ahead, um, I mean, as a small business person, there's very few situations where I've gone into doing something um, with making a deal about something that I've been perfectly pleased and happy with the way everything went. No, usually I have to give up something in order to get something. And I think that that is often something that is lost in our discourse is that sometimes you have to give a little to get something. And I think if we, were, you know, a little more talking about, you know, well, we had to sacrifice something to get something better, I think then that kind of language might make these things more appealing to people. Um, let's, let's talk about um, one other issue on the federal level, which of course is tariffs. Um, you know, you personally took a significant hit because you were exporting quite a bit. Um, what, you know, happens you know, forget about the lame duck for now. Obviously, we'll talk about 2021. Um, if there is a change in the executive branch, um, what do you see happening with with tariffs at this point? I think I think those are going to go away. I don't think that they have been a tool that the Democratic side has felt like was the answer to dealing with differences. So I do think they will go away. I think that they, they we have been complaining about them um, and that when we talk to, in Virginia, our, our current representatives are all Democrats and they have been sympathetic to our concerns and, you know, basically saying that they were not in agreement with that. So I think that there will be a movement toward moving back toward the kind of multilateral agreements that were common you know, in previous administrations, whether they be de Democratic or Republican before um, the current administration where um, there is this appetite for, you know, de dealing with differences through applying tariffs as a means of applying pressure. And um, so I think that we will move back to, I'm hoping a more rational way of doing things. And, you know, yes, we've lost some time We've lost uh, a mind share in that 
in that process and it'll, you know, but at least we can, um, it'll start making us able to compete again on, on the world stage, which has been denied us for the past few years is we've just been denied the opportunity to compete. And I think that that's, um, that the new administration would be open to, you know, bring that ability back. After a final break, more from Becky on the state of things in Virginia. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more. It's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. In early April, Virginia's Alcohol Beverage Control Authority gave craft distilleries special privileges to directly ship their products to consumers within the state. While it initially provided a great boost for Catoctin Creek, Becky says the recent sales haven't been quite as dramatic. We are still using that as a tool. Um, you know, when we have people that can't get out, when we are having special releases, we're going to plan those special releases so that they work well with the ability to direct ship. In Virginia, as a control state, it isn't true DTC in the sense that we are not bypassing the middle tier. Um, for people who aren't familiar with the way Virginia is structured, it, the state is the, is the wholesaler and the retailer. And a distillery tasting room store is a state store. And so there is no way for me to sell any of my products and bypass the middle tier. So our direct ship is sold through our distillery store and we still pay the state. So I think for them, it was uh, absolutely, you know, um, it was an, it's a no brainer either way, really, because we, they still made money. They make money on us and they make money on the stuff we sell DTC. And, and we know the data says that we don't, um, we do not hurt sales in state stores. As a matter of fact, it embellishes state, state store sales because of, you know, um, I like to say that what it does is it's really a, um, it brings us to the, the, people's minds when they're out, you know, if we're communicating, hey, come and buy this online, and you're like, uh, don't want to pay shipping, but you know what, I'm going to the store because I need some, you know, tequila and something else, so you know what, I'm going to buy the Catoctin Creek as long as I'm there, and that, I think, is the kind of thing that retailers miss, is that it's really a promotional tool and a relationship tool, and so the biggest thing I think for Virginia is is the making sure that it's permanent because I think when you know that something is permanent you start to invest in it and use it a different way you may say oh it's worth it for me to buy 
you know, mailers and uh, customize things and really, you know, kind of make this something that I can invest in because it's going to be a tool I can use long term. Um, I think that also it's really key to look at how do we expand it? How do we make this thing that everybody seems to even, I mean, a lot of people even think it is legal, um, make it legal mm. and make it something that rationally um, small distilleries are able to use to connect with their customers. Customers can order something. I would love to be able to order some of the products that I know from people in many other states that are friends of mine that make something new and I would love to try it. It's just, there needs to be a way that that can be done. And I think it can be done so that everybody wins. And, you know, some of the work that the Uniform Law Commission has done on looking at how these laws that currently govern wine and shipping wine can be made rational and workable so that states can be sure that people aren't going to be bad actors and operate illegally and yet there's access to those markets and if that can be done and it looks like it can be done then if we can start to spread that gospel and get people to be excited about you know what if we start to do these things we can really get access to things i want to try from all over the country you know i know jeff you and i we both read the spirits press and we see these things and you think wow that'd be great i can't mm. fly there to go get it <laughs> i sure would like it to come to my house and i know that you know so many of of, of us are like you know yeah we're stuck at home we can't you know even in times when you can travel a lot of times you don't want to check a bag and you can't carry stuff on. So it'd be great to be able to ship stuff that you discover when you're traveling. I think it's really long overdue. And I think that I'm excited as part of ACSA to be able to start to talk to people about this and get them as excited about the ability to try to do this and do it across the board, wine, beer, spirits, you know, let's do it. But this is, this is common sense and it's a win-win. And um, I think it's, it's going to make the next few years very interesting because it's going to be a big lift uh, legislatively to work with so many different states and really work with our guilds and all of our members in the guilds to really help them make their case to their state governments. But I think it's going to be great, ultimately. Are you encouraged by what's happening in a couple other states that have gone permanent? Um, I've, uh, I think, um, I mean, not permanent, but I know um, this isn't necessarily related to direct shipping, but I know some of them have gone permanent with cocktails to go, which is, yeah. which is another thing. And it's like, thing. that's a great thing too. Why not? You know? um, I think it's, it's kind of, it seems like that this has kind of exposed some things that small businesses, it, it's a common sense approach. I think that, you know, there have been bugs here and there, but people put their minds to it, we can work them out. And that's kind of how I feel about a lot of that stuff with the, both Cocktails to Go and both with Direct Ship. There, yeah, there are some things, you might have to tweak this and that, and I see it as being not a project of six months or even a year, it may take time. But I think if you can get a clear vision of what you want something to look like and communicate that vision to people, 
then you can really kind of start to move toward it. And that I think is kind of what we've been trying to do and the DTC committee is really kind of set forth what is our vision of what the landscape of spirits should be. And, and then try to go out and, and talk to people about it and then let, you know, kind of get that language so that everybody can see it clearly. And then I think there's going to be movement and it may not be quick, but you know, that's okay. We're, we've been in this business for 10 years and you know what, we're, we don't expect overnight success. <laughs> You're an overnight success 10 years, 20 years in. <laughs> So now let's talk, um, let's talk Rye a bit. Um, I mean, you know, obviously Rye was on a nice sort of clip, you know, from a very small base it was growing off of, but it was growing at a nice clip. Did, has COVID sort of been an obstacle to that? Has it derailed it? Or do you think that um, you're still going to see some robust growth for Rye of people discovering it more and that sort of thing? I'm bullish. I think people get bored. I think they're, you know, especially you're stuck at home. You know, one of the things we found that we actually had quite a bit of success with this past um, couple of months was, you know, Scott started doing some Zoom cocktail classes. And you know what? People are stuck at home. They would be like, at the last one, there were a bunch of people who were like, oh, we're really going to hate not having this on, you know, Friday, because they would try new cocktails. They'd try to make something new. And, you know, I think that as people try to weather this winter, you know, I've, I've been likening it a lot to trying to throw spaghetti against the wall and see what's going to stick. Everybody out there is trying all kinds of things to try to engage customers, to keep keep people entertained, give them something to do. And I think that in that same part where you're like, what else is new is still rye is relatively new. You know, bourbon, a lot of people don't even know the difference between bourbon and rye. And, you know, in the spirits business, yes, of course, we know the visit difference between bourbon and rye, but, you know, there's a whole wide world of their people out there who, you know, don't know what the difference between bourbon is and whiskey and all those things. They can decipher a TTV label to tell them what the difference was. And I think that there are still people out there who are curious and want to learn. And it's just a matter of how do we engage them? How do we communicate with them? Um, and we keep throwing spaghetti and finding out what, what's going to stick. <laughs> now, you know, a big part of that has been tourism, you know, especially in the mid-Atlantic region where, you know, the, the historical rye hotspots, of course, tourism is not what it was last year for obvious reasons. Um, how do you get around that? I mean, you said the virtual cocktail classes and things like that, but is there a virtual component that takes the place of sort of the the distillery trail crawls and that sort of no, thing? No, you know, what, what you do is you try to engage people locally. You try to lean into your home market. Um, you try to do as much outreach as you can. And like I said, a lot of that is finding what, what kind of things can engage people in more far-flung locales. Um, and you're just, it's, I think that this winter is going to be a, a case for a lot of people of figuring out how do I make it through? How do I do my best? 
and you try to keep from getting too fatigued by everything and you keep kind of keep pushing. And I, you know, I believe that we're going to have a vaccine and at that point, and if, especially if we find the will to make the, the changes that public health tells us to, that we can start to see, you know, things, things change. I think a lot of people are bored, have been locked up at home for a long time. So we're seeing more local travel. And so I think, you know, maybe there are people who never came out uh, from DC out to, you know, Loudon where we are, um, and it's new to them. And so for them, they're, 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 you know, looking for something to do to get out of the house. So we're gonna try to lean into that and, and try to deepen our, our home, our home market, the connection with our home market. I think that's, you know, some of the easier things. And then you do the outreach further field as best you can. And uh, hopefully by spring, you know, we'll have uh, made movement in, in getting some of this under control so that we can start to do more of the travel that honestly, you know, I kind of miss. I don't miss constant travel, but I do miss going out and, and seeing people and connecting with people, um, you know, Hell, my son lives in Texas. I haven't seen him since uh, since March. So, it there's everybody wants to get on the road when, at least some way. Um, I guess as we sort of wind things down, I want to just get your sense of any lessons that 2020 has taught you. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the best laid plans, eh? I know it was like, man, this year was going to be all about this. But I think what it's uh, really taught me is, um, is, is that you know you don't know when the tests are coming, and you don't know what they're going to look like, but you really have to, you know support each other and really try to, I mean, as a community, as a community of people who live in a locality, as a community of distillers here together, um, you know, help lift each other up, whether it be through educating people, you know, when we all pitched in and tried to figure out how in the heck we're going to make sanitizer. And, and now it's, you know, what's the next step? What's the next thing? And, you know, you've got a good idea and, you know, we, have groups that talk and you say, hey, what are you trying with this sort of, you know, oh, have you talked to these guys? They make, I mean, we made some minis for the first time. We've never done those, you know, little 50 mils. But we found out about a good place to do it from another distiller. You know, they're like, oh, you need somebody to do, you kind of help each other out where you can because it, it truthfully, you know, we're all trying to make it through the winter um, and just like that, I feel that ACSA has been there for every one of our members as we negotiate these things and, you know, oh, do you know somebody who's looking for this? Yes, we try to put people together. And I think that's the real strength and value in an association like ACSA is that it creates a community that can help lift each other up. And it is one of the great privileges to be able to be involved at this time in this test 
in helping to keep this industry growing and vital as we're going to make it through one of the roughest winters, but we're going to make it through. And I just am really excited to start coming out the other side and see where we where we can go from here because if we can make it through this we can make it through a heck of a lot well that's our program for today thanks again to becky harris for her time if you'd like to learn more about the distillery you can find them online at catoctoncreekdistilling.com and on twitter and instagram at catoctoncreek. creek you can also find becky on instagram at B-E-C-K-H-A-R-67. And you can also learn more about the American Craft Spirits Association and how to be a member at americancraftspirits.org. And finally, you can subscribe for free to Craft Spirits Magazine and check out our latest issue at craftspiritsmag.com. In our next podcast, we'll hear from P.T. Wood, ACSA's vice president and the co-founder of Wood's High Mountain Distillery in Colorado. Until then... Thanks for listening, and cheers 